From the Heritage Foundation, I'm Michelle Cordero, and this is Heritage Explains. We're going to do something a little different this week and introduce to you the newest show on the Heritage Podcast Network, The Kevin Roberts Show. Each episode of The Kevin Roberts Show is a weekly rallying cry for lovers of freedom everywhere, packed with Dr. Roberts' analysis of the issues of the day and deep conversations with movers and shakers of American politics and culture. On this particular episode, Kevin Roberts is joined by Senator Josh Hawley for a discussion on Ukraine aid, the future of conservatism in foreign policy, and more. We hope you'll love this episode as much as we did. You can listen and subscribe to The Kevin Roberts Show wherever you get podcasts, or subscribe and watch the show on YouTube or Rumble. Welcome back to The Kevin Roberts Show. As you know, usually once a week we have a special guest on, but this week we have two episodes. This is our first bonus episode with our friend, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. Senator, thanks for kind of racing over to Heritage to talk about something really timely. But I will say on behalf of all of us at Heritage, and I think everyone in the conservative movement, we're grateful for your intellect, for your service, and your cheerfulness, something that has been missing sometimes in Washington, D.C. Well, thank you. That's nice of you to say. Thank you. Yes, it's well, it's, you. it's heartfelt. You know, you and I, before we were going on camera, as, as a nice host, I will do this. You're kind of complaining about the Longhorn thing back just there. just a little. Yeah. Just a little bit. You're a, you're a member of the Senate from Missouri, so I'm just going right. to give you 30 seconds to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I will just say that, uh, hey, nothing against uh, UT, but they're not our, our favorite opponent at the University okay. of Missouri. And I'm, uh, I'm married to an Aggie. So, you know, it's it's a little it's a little tense. I mean, she might see that. I'll have to, I'll have a lot of explaining to do. Well, yeah, well, uh, whenever your better half, which I know you would say, if Mrs. Hawley is, is, a, is a guest on this half. podcast. We might have to change that. But I wanted you to be able to check the boxes at home and at home by complaining <laughs> about you. the UTPs. Thank you. All kidding aside, yeah. not that college football is unimportant, but obviously far more important than that this week and every week is American foreign policy. Mm-hmm. And you know Heritage well that in our 50-year history, we like to think of ourselves as a leader in the movement in helping to cohere a conservative foreign policy. That is clearly shifting right now. That is whatever conservative foreign policy is. And we were kindred spirits, you and, and Heritage and a lot of people in the movement, when it came to this vote on Ukraine aid. I'll just take a few seconds to say neither you nor we intend any opposition to an aid package to be dismissive of the heroism that we've seen in Ukraine. But I can at least speak for Heritage and say we've had enough of Mm. of business as usual. And I've been really grateful for your comments on this, some recent commentary you wrote that we'll get into. But just want to give you the opportunity to speak to that aid package and perhaps future conversations about that. Well, listen, I voted no on the aid package for mm-hmm. several reasons. I mean, one of them, just the, the sort of technicalities of it. For one thing, it's just huge. It's just yeah. astronomical in size. $40 billion is what we were talking about. That's about the size of Ukraine's entire national budget right. as of a year or two ago. It's three times as much as the Europeans have done combined right. towards this conflict that's on their continent. And my concern is, is that it, it really tends to make Ukraine sort of a client state of yeah. the United States. I mean, it includes almost $9 billion in direct support to their treasury or funds that are available for their treasury. Right. I worry about that. You know? yeah. and, and my view is, is that nation building didn't work out too well in mm-hmm. Iraq and Afghanistan. I don't think we should be doing it in Ukraine. So targeted military assistance is one thing. I've favored that. But yeah. 
this kind of nation building where it's less about our national security, it's more about nation building, I think is a problem in Ukraine and everywhere. And and that, I hope, is what we'll talk more about, because I think as a party, we need to be a party that is for strong American nationalism, but not nation building. No, that's well said. And and I'll just read your words. You'll, you'll, the audience will hear a couple of echoes between this and what you just said, but this isn't a piece that, that published this week in Compact Magazine. If this, the Ukraine aid package, you say, isn't a classic case of misplaced priorities, I don't know what is. The administration won't give our own troops a raise that keeps pace with inflation. It won't secure our own southern border. It is dragging its feet on the forced posture changes needed in Asia to counter a rising China. But to conclude here, $40 billion, you write, is enough to give every American service member a real raise. It's enough to build a wall at the border twice over. This is the frustration that not just conservatives, but a lot of Americans are feeling right now with the debate. My question for you is, knowing we agree with you 100 percent, how do we get out of what American sense is just kind of this hamster wheel where we we are always having the same conversation, which is spending our money, you know, under the auspices of something that seems noble, helping the Ukrainians. But we know it's a lot worse than that. How do we fix it? Well, I think we've got to we've got to shift the terms of the debate yeah. a little bit, and this is where we need to talk about ideas. It's something that Heritage is is so great at understanding, and over the years in, in pushing is the notion, the truth that ideas have consequences, yeah. and they do when it comes mm-hmm. to foreign policy. And unfortunately, the idea that has really dominated American foreign policy with leaders of both parties for the last thirty years or mm-hmm. more has been what I call liberal globalism, right. and, and it's it has a left wing and a right wing version. Mm-hmm. But it's the idea that we should remake the world to make it look more like America. That's really the right-wing version. Or we should remake the world and we should give America sovereignty away. And that's the left-wing version. So, you know, the left-wingers, they want multilateralism and they want uh, want, uh, lots of treaties where we will surrender our rights to the United Nations or the International Criminal Court and so on. The right-wingers... These are the neoconservatives. They mm-hmm. want to engage in regime change. Mm-hmm. They want to do nation building. They want to create really an, a soft empire of influence and client states all around the world. And I think both of those approaches, which are really the same approach, mm-hmm. are wrong. And I say at the end of the day, we don't need globalism. We need nationalism. Yeah. We need to say that, listen, our number one priority in the world is to protect Americans' security and our liberty. That's mm-hmm. priority number one. Mm-hmm. And we do that not by trying to replace a world of independent nation states, but by trying to get a balance in the world of those nation states that protects us. Mm-hmm. And here's here's the bottom line for me. When we do that, that's actually the best way that we can help others in the world too. Because mm-hmm. when we get a world where we are safe and where we can be prosperous and no one nation can dominate us, we create space for other people, other nations, to go their own path, seek their own prosperity. And that's good. You know, yeah. we're for that. That's a that's a great byproduct of us seeking our security and our prosperity. But nationalism is, I think, the the path we need to take, not globalism. Well, that's well said, and we agree with that wholeheartedly. And and this question, at least initially, might sound far afield, but you'll quickly know that it isn't. As we sit here... The the World Economic Forum has been happening, and you know you don't impute motives. We don't do that either at Heritage. But as analysts, foreign policy analysts, we can just see what meets the eye, and what meets the eye is explicitly in some of the high profile speeches at the World Economic Forum is is a real hostility toward the concept of nation state, whether it be the American nation state, mm-hmm. for that matter, the the Chinese nation state. I mean, mm-hmm. what I really appreciate about your comment just now is that that concept is one that has been an organizing principle in the world. 
America, this is the point, Senator, individual Americans feel that mm. in their own way. They might describe that in a little bit different way, not that they're dumb by any stretch. Do you, are you optimistic that we're on the cusp of changing that? That is to say that there's so much frustration worldwide, whether it be here in the United States or as evidenced by Brexit, that we're going to tell the global elites we've had enough and we are going to sustain the concept of the nation state. Yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I think we are on the verge of a big change. And one of the reasons is just reality, yeah. Kevin. I mean, reality sets in and the reality right now is the United States does not have the excess cash to spend and the excess troops to police the entire world. We just don't, and the American people don't want to do it. Yeah. And I think what we're going to see is, particularly with a rising China that does want to dominate first the Asia-Pacific, mm-hmm. then the world, they certainly want to dominate us if they have their way. We see it already with trade. That's why they're chronic trade cheaters. That's why yeah. they want to extend their system all around the world. They want to dominate. And what's going to happen is we're not going to be able to play the globalist game mm-hmm. if we're going to protect our own security and protect our own liberty and deter them, deter right. the Chinese. We don't, you know, I don't advocate regime change in China. Listen, I think sure. it'd be wonderful if they're a democracy, <laughs> but but that's up to them. I mean, yeah. it's not about regime change. It's it's not about creating some sort of an imperial system there on our behalf. Yeah. It's about deterring them from dominating us. And if we're going to get serious about doing that, we're not going to be able to be globalists and be yeah. intervening in every conflict around the world. We just can't. Yeah, and the, and the best way for us to serve the world, understanding the moral obligation we have as Americans, I think anyone of faith would, would say that, is to have a strong America. That's and right. I was of, of, I mean, we don't mind constructive criticism of heritage positions. In fact, we believe that part of our role is to facilitate a conversation where friends and not friends would be willing to have a conversation with us. Yeah. But the, the point is, what I found frustrating in the last couple of weeks among all the commentary about a position that we share with you is that somehow we're being disingenuous by saying, why can't we build the wall at the southern border? Why can't we attend to problems at home? People took that to mean that we were sort of inventing excuses for opposing the Ukraine bill. It seems like awfully legitimate criticism, not just to us in the think tank world, but to the average American. And this gets back to having a strong America. I mm-hmm. mean, I think that, listen, everybody wants to be compassionate towards right. those who are in need overseas. And, you know, in Russia, we're talking about more than compassion. Russia is an aggressor here. Yeah, you know? So right. you're not going to get any any tears shed by me for Russia. I mean, you know, they they are. Let, let's be clear on that. They're the ones who invaded Ukraine. Right. Uh, they deserve what what's coming to them, mm-hmm. and, and we should help the Ukrainians. But as I say, that's different than saying we ought to do nation building in Ukraine. Yeah. And our goal ought to be to strengthen this country. And when you see the crisis and chaos at our southern border, when you see the loss of industry, which mm-hmm. is listen, one of the global one of the consequences of this globalist policy over decades has been the loss of domestic industry, good paying jobs yeah. for working people in America. That's just a fact. So Mm -hmm. I think Americans look at this and they say, you know, I'd like to see our border secured. I'd like to see the crime wave addressed. I'd like to be able to get a good paying job in the town that I grew up in rather than have it be overseas in China or in Mexico. Yeah. They're not unreasonable, and, and and nor is that an excuse to not do something abroad. They understand that America's got to be strong, and our whole foreign policy should be geared towards keeping America strong. Well, we, as we get into wrapping up this this short segment, I'll come back to what the future of foreign policy ought to look like. But for the purposes of our audience, in case people watching or listening to this have not had the opportunity to read your piece in Compact Magazine. I really do commend it to all of you, but I'll read briefly from this again on this point you just made. 
That kind of robust nationalism is what America needs today, you, you write. We can't afford to be isolationists. That would mean letting other nations direct our trade, dictate our interests, and imperil the livelihoods of our people. But nor, to the point you just made, can we afford further adventures in globalism. That, I think, is what I've been referring to as the false dichotomy of Washington, that you're either a globalist or you're an isolationist. And some people have started describing this position as the third way. Our mutual friend, my colleague, Jim Carafano, says, Kevin, this isn't the third way. It's the right way. Is that the future of conservative foreign policy? I hope so. It's the American way. And and here's what I mean by that. It It really is our tradition in this country, conservative nationalism really is our our greatest and maybe longest tradition in American foreign policy, mm-hmm. and particularly for Republicans. You know, we have historically been, I talk about Theodore Roosevelt in right. this piece, and even before TR, we have historically been the party of American nationalism at home and abroad. Right. We were the party of strong industry, good-paying jobs, uh, jobs for workers, good pay for workers. We, that, that was us in the late 19th and early 20th century. And at the same time, mm-hmm. we were the party that said, we want to protect American security abroad. We want to protect Americans' livelihoods abroad. We want to be sure that we can have a strong working class and middle class. So that's what we need to get back to. It, it's right. not it's not a new position, but nor is it a departure. Sometimes you hear people in this town say, oh, Republic, what you want to do is you want to abandon Republicans' p- policies. No, I want to abandon the globalist policies, yes, right. which have not been historically where we as conservatives have been and what we've advocated for. And it's not what the country wants. The country doesn't want globalism. The country wants America to be strong and safe. Right. And and that's the most important thing. And then if you think about the specific bill on the or you know now the, the Ukraine aid package, there was such a legitimate concern about the process or lack thereof. Yeah. The American people also want to debate. I mean, yeah. one of the the beautiful things that we have sustained over two and a half centuries in spite of all of our warts as a society, is as a representative republic, our people, whether they're electing members of the Senate or electing members of the House, expect a debate. They expect a debate at the committee level. They expect a debate on the floor. The Senate's a little bit better than that because of the custom of the Senate. But the point is we need more of that moving forward. And so look into your crystal ball for our audience. And do you foresee another aid package for Ukraine? And if so, do you foresee a more robust debate about it? I think there will be another aid package. The administration's made clear that they right. want more. And they've even said we need to have a Marshall Plan of reconstruction for Ukraine. This gets to the nation building point. Yeah, that's right. And the administration, I give them credit. They've been pretty open about this. Yeah. I mean, they're clear what they want to do yep. in Ukraine. They want to nation build. They want now a Marshall Reconstruction Plan. They want America mm. to lead the way on this. And, you know, fair enough. I just think that's wrong for all yeah. the reasons we've discussed. So will we see more of it in the Senate? We will. Will there be a more robust debate? I hope Republicans, mm-hmm. at least in, in public, whatever happens on the floor, I hope we'll stand up and say, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's get back to this this conversation about globalism versus nationalism. Yeah. And, and how does this help us make America strong and do what we need to do in the world? We're going to have a debate on NATO. You yeah. know, which is a which is a, a topic closely aligned with this. You know, should we expand NATO? My questions on that are, and I hope we can have a debate about this. Well, what will that mean for America's security commitments in Europe? We already have more than a hundred thousand troops in Europe. Are we going to need to send more if we expand NATO? Well, right. we have to. Will we have to give additional guarantees to any new NATO members? These are really pressing commitments and questions to ask because once we make those commitments, 
they're there forever. Yeah, you know, we keep right. our commitments as a nation. So I want to be careful mm-hmm. about making new ones because once we've made them, we've made them. Yeah. So I hope we can have a debate about that too. No, that's great. And I'll just comment on that before asking yeah. you the typical last question, which is about optimism. But in the in the category of friends can sit together, maybe have differences of opinion, that Heritage has a longstanding position of, of supporting the expansion of NATO. We took a really close look in the last several days about the Finland and Sweden likelihoods. Yeah. And, and we've made the point, strengthened by some really constructive criticism by you and other friends, that they have to pay their share and yep. NATO has to pay their share. The point, Senator, is even if you ultimately come down on the side of opposing that, we can agree 100% on the same thing, which is that the Europeans have to do more than what they've been doing. That's right? the key thing. That's the key thing we yeah. have to talk about. And that's, and that's really, you know, it's, it's funny. I was chatting with the Finnish ambassador the other day. Yeah. And I said, listen, tell me how much you're spending on defense. And then, uh, will you be an advocate? I asked him, will Finland be an advocate if you join NATO for getting all the other NATO members to pull their own weight? And the truth is, is that you know the NATO members are supposed to be spending two percent. Many of them aren't. That's right. But that's that even two percent is not adequate in my view. Yeah, I mean, we need to raise that commitment across the board. And Europe, in the long term, heck, even in the short term, Europe needs to do more for Europe. Yeah. Just as the United States, as we think about the world, our biggest challenges for us in the world are in Asia. They're with China. That's right. And the Europeans, you know, they're not situated to do much there. We're going to have to do that because that's in our direct national interest. We need them to do more in Europe. And that's that's what allies do. They share yeah. burdens. That's and right. I think we've got to have that conversation. Yeah. And, and allies and domestic movements are willing to say, this is where you are. This is where I am. Uh, what's the common ground? And if we can't decide that we're going to be on the common ground, how can we make sure that each of our positions is persuasive? So we really appreciate that. You need to scurry off to a vote, and we're going to let you do that because you do your duties so well. But we do have time for the, the typical last question. Oh. And it is, in spite of all of the challenges in America and in the world, great tragedies, of mm. course, why did you wake up optimistic about the future of America today? Well, I think for, I think for two reasons. Um, the first is is that I wake up the father of three small children mm-hmm. and the husband of an amazing woman. And I just think as I look at my kids who are now 9, 7, and 18 months, mm-hmm. baby, my baby girl, I got two boys and a girl. When I look at them, when my wife and I look at them, the, the potential that we see there, the incredible gift of God that we see there, mm-hmm. what I see for their lives. And as I'm watching my boys and my baby grow, and I just think, man, you know, what can what can God do with these lives? Right. I just think that's true for every parent in America. Mm-hmm. So you can't look at your children and you can't think about children all over this country and not say, boy, you know, there's a lot to be hopeful for in our country. That's I right. mean, you just look at look at our people. And that's the second thing. When I travel my state and I go out and I talk to folks normal folks who are working a job and raising a family. You know, what I see there is I don't see weakness. Mm-hmm. I don't see decline. What I see there is strength. The yeah. American people are strong. That's right. Leadership in Washington has been weak. You want to know where the decline is in America? It's leadership in Washington. It's not with the people of this country. The people of this country are as strong as ever. And my view is they're just waiting to be released. I mean, give them the ability, get out of their way and let them do what they do. Let them raise their families, protect their churches, protect their neighborhoods, protect their schools. You know, I mean, stop trying to destroy this culture that has made us so strong. All of that stuff that Washington does, if Washington will quit doing that and will start being an ally to our people rather than an opponent, there is 
there is no limit to what this country can do. So I think not only are our best days ahead, listen, um, the world needs for our best days to be ahead because the world yeah. needs America. They need our example. Um, they need our lives. They need the lives of our children. And uh, that's what makes me excited. Well, what a wonderful answer. Well, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, the great state of Missouri, thanks for being here. Thanks Thank for everything you. you're doing. Thank you so much. And all of you who make this show possible, I hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. We'll get Senator Hawley back sometime to talk about this issue and others. But in the meantime, take care and we'll see you next time. Heritage Explains is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is produced by Michelle Cordero and Tim Desher with editing by John Pop.